Hello and welcome to episode number 51 of the podcast More Than Tones, Music Education and Society. This is the second of two episodes that deal with the potential of music making in groups and the hope that it can transform societies. The conversations with Juan and Michal took place in the Acousticum in the Netherlands during the Music Leadership Summit that was organized by the Musicians Without Borders. And the third conversation with Agatha took place two weeks after the summit via a video conference app. So in the beginning you'll hear some background noises again, which show that we were in a vivid place with many lovely people. You'll also hear some music from Mozambique that Agatha recommended. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversations and the music. the trainers of Musicians Without Borders and at the moment you work in El Salvador in this project Soy Musica and what I heard about this project is that you as a trainer you go there and you train music teachers who work in high schools and the first question is um, what kind of skills do you want them to develop? Well the first thing that we want to develop is for them to be very creative to unleash their their inventiveness, their curiosity, for them to discover that new narratives in the classroom can be created. And what does that mean, new narratives in the classroom? Because for many years, aggression and a violent way of communicating has been present in many layers of society. But it's also possible to change those, those narratives, those ways of communicating, or also to relating to their history, to transform the present and hopefully also the future. And I heard that the Ministry of Education in El Salvador told you, please write a curriculum because we trust you with this. So can you tell me what's in that curriculum? I was not part of that process of writing that curriculum, but... The, the curriculum is based on the working principles of Musicians mm -hmm. Without Borders and active nonviolence and peace building, but in the classroom through music. So the curriculum was built based on Musicians Without Borders work, but also with the participants, with the people that were receiving this education there, lots of the repertoire and lots of their culture and their their own context was included in the development of those curriculums so that it makes sense for them so that it's not something that comes from abroad like uh yeah like colonialism all Correct. over again yeah exactly. that's important yeah exactly and also that they have the tools and they are they're also motivated to also take active part in developing further those curriculum so that it makes sense for their context and as you said yeah, kind of like like not not following that old 
colonialism tradition yeah. um, that in Latin America has a, had like a very big impact. I was thinking back again to the point of creativity. So you want music teachers to de develop creativity, to be more creative in their classrooms with the children. How does that relate to the repertoire they have so far or that they use? Do you make a connection there or do, do they make it? Well, they make it. The idea is that they realize for, for themselves how um, methodologies and strategies and, and basic methodologies for the classroom, for the music classroom, can also be blended or mixed with their own tradition and their own music and their own culture. For example, there's repertoire that in Musicians Without Borders trainings is kind of like like well-known or are pieces that are, for example, in uh, maybe even in, in English language or in a language that for them is uh, foreign. And they have adapted texts of those songs that connect better with their students. Yeah. It's also adapted taught texts into Spanish, uh, but also not, not any Spanish, but they're the Spanish that is spoken in El Salvador. So repertoire that gets transformed or varied. And also they and their rhythmic, their rhythmic is quite different from, you know, other places in, in the world. Their, their, their percussion, how they feel the rhythm and how they feel the, the, this cadence. So mm -hmm. the dancing for them is also more, it's even more important than the vocal tradition that it's more present in Europe. There, in uh, Central America and South America, there's much more contact with dance, with the movement of the body and feeling the rhythm, but through the body. So they also get to adapt all those, like the methodology and also the, the thinking about the principles, how they really can incorporate their own way of feeling music and, how, and their own way of moving through music. So yeah. you see things that are actually different than, or that, that, they, that you're surprised to see, wow, that's a new way of doing that hmm. um, yeah, cool. with them. And how, how do you connect creativity and nonviolence? Where's the connection there? You say it's um, this nonviolent form of interaction is something that has to be kind of trained maybe with the young people, or maybe not trained, maybe that's not the right word, but... You want them to be non-violent members of society mm -hmm. later on and not to get onto a bad path in their lives. And how does creativity help there? Well, I think, the, the, you know, the basis of creativity is when, you, when you're presented like a, a, a problematic or a problem that needs to be solved. That, that needs from, from you not a standardized solution or not yeah. a solution that is found in a book with an instruction, but you actually have to think of a way of solving that issue or problem or whatever that is. These school teachers, they're, they're actually in a position where they can have a real impact in the kids that when they go after, after class, after school, the environment that they encounter there is many times luring them into continuing that path of aggression or violence. And, and then these teachers, they know better, they know their students better than anyone. 
they have to actually find creative ways or like like alternative ways to build a sensibility within themselves but also within their students about this active non-violence which is not only being um, not engaged in violent acts but being active in demonstrating that the path of violence is not the it's not something that will bring this rest of the society to somewhere no so i think it's more more than a training like you were saying before yeah i think it's developing a sensibility for it like being very like this this developing this awareness of those moments where we also react on an aggressive way or when we react on prone to that in in any certain situation but how how we discover ourselves and see ourselves and get that sensibility to notice to perceive it every in everyday life um, I think that these collaborative participatory uh, musical activities can spark kind of like that sensibility in the trainers but also the students and and maybe had a ripple effect into other parts of society. Is there anything else you would like to tell me about that project that you think is interesting? Yes, I actually see how the the school teachers that receive this training, this three-year education, they have grown so so close to each other that they really have sparked something like a movement and then and now soy musica is something really powerful so they they have a place where they belong like soy musica is a place where they're where they can challenge themselves where they can uh, rely on and it's just kind of like this this group of people that is that Very is growing together totally motivated they're so yeah. motivated They're yeah. so, so passionate about it. And this really means a lot for them. And it's really beautiful to see the energy that they bring when they're going to work. When, now that they're um, moving into this phase where they are the local trainers, where they are giving the trainers the trainings and, and, the, and the instruction to others or other colleagues in the country. And now Mistress Without Borders can kind of slowly step out and and provide support, but allow that the project gets to be um, sustainable, that they can keep it going on their own. It's on the right path because they're so motivated and that they belong with each other. They're, they're a really strong team together and they nurture each other. It's really beautiful to see their energy. Their energy. That's something that for me, Wow, super impactful. I get like kind of super emotional because they Yeah, if they teams vibrate. do that, they can manage to do a lot, yeah. I think. So good luck with the project and have fun in El Salvador. Thank Soon you you'll, you'll be there again, right. right? Thank you, Daniela. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me about what you do in Sweden. You're originally from Poland and we met only two days ago and you were one of the first people I met here and I asked you where you work and what you do and you told me you work in a business school 
And you told me um, that you decided to introduce music into the curriculum. You decided to convince the dean of your faculty. And can you tell me the story? How did that happen? How did you get that idea? Yes, of course. Thank you very much for you know inviting me to this conversation. So, uh, first of all, I was uh, I've been playing music since I was a teenager and uh, having bands all the time uh, when I was living in Poland and Sweden. Uh, so music is, you know, something in my heart all the time. So when I uh, joined the business school, I realized that uh, uh, something wrong is happening here. I mean, it's, it's like people are very uh, disconnected during the uh, the classes. I mean, students um, that they are really not um, relating their knowledge to experience and also emotions. How could you see that they were disconnected? Well, or feel that maybe? Yeah, when you work with students, uh, having seminars, workshops, even lectures, asking some questions, you can see that they are trying to not to be very much involved. They are very, you know, they are self-confident, I would say, and self-worth is at the very low level because mm -hmm. they are very shy, not having this. Um, Uh, motivation to express themselves and rather following the standard rules of answering the questions. So if you ask something, um, then you can expect the answer like, uh, yeah, the author in this article said this or that, but this is not the way I am expecting students will be having conversation with me. So I was just thinking how to change the situation, how to motivate them, how to engage their bodies also into the conversation about organizing topics. Yeah, suddenly this idea about music came to my mind. Uh, so I just, yeah, I just realized that's why not to try. And I tried. So you go into that room with the business students and you make music, obviously, and how do you reflect on what's happening in the room? How do you do mm. that? Yeah, that's also a good question because uh, I, I've been doing this uh, intervention in two years, for two years now, and uh, every time I try to learn something from, uh, from students' opinions and from myself as well, uh, from my observations and experiences. So... Um, <laughs> In each occasion, I use different methodology, I would say. Uh, but at the end, now, I have some rules how to behave and how to use it. Uh, so, uh, What kind of rules? Yeah, so, so basically, we have instruments and, um, and we use drums, and percussions, djembes um, in these exercises. So I do not use any other instruments like guitars or ukuleles. At the beginning I was doing that, but then I realized that, you know, I am a drummer. I play the drums, so I should feel comfortable with what, what I am doing. And yes. not giving students possibility to play piano or something, because I totally don't know how to do it. So uh, we use only drums, and we le learn through dr drumming different styles of leading. You know, collective leadership, individualistic leadership, following leader, being a leader, being a follower. And um, there are different, um, couple of different exercises. Uh, it's difficult to explain without instrument how we work with them. When we lead a group, we always see things, we perceive a lot. And do you talk to them about that later on? Yes. After each exercise, we have a sense-making session. 
what can we learn from this exercise? What are your feelings? Uh, what do you think about it? What did you learn about your leadership and so on and so forth? Then uh, after the session, very often students also have assignments. Uh, they need to write 1,000 words. Like a, a diary entry a little bit. Exactly. Um, what's, what happened to me, to my leadership? Uh, so they, they also have a possibility to make a sense of, uh, of the session after a couple of days. How do they deal with that? Um, do they express their emotions? Yes, most of them. Some of them I see that they are just rather um, trying to you know, write some very standard responses. Yeah, it was a very good session for my future leadership and I'm sure that I will have <laughs> yeah. a job market. Yeah, that's so cool. But, um, but many of them actually are relating to the emotions. That's all right. For the whole of the session I was hiding myself and I didn't take the leadership role. It means that I need to be more work a little bit more on myself if I would like to be a real leader in the future. This kind of thing. And I bet that you also talk about qualities of leadership. So can you tell me what you think the most important qualities of a leader are? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, because um, uh, mainly I would say that the whole exercise, the whole intervention is based on collective leadership uh, idea. So what I try to do is to unlearn, uh, to, to implement unlearning in the students' minds. Because they think, of course, they, they just join the session thinking that a uh, leader is a tall white man with a power. That's, <laughs> the, you know, that's, yeah. we should have a strong leader who will be just telling us what to do and we'll be happy followers, like a Santa Claus workshop. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's not the point. So... Uh, We try to unlearn this kind of uh, unnecessary thinking about leadership. You were talking about the old white men who are like the leaders uh, in many students' minds. Yeah. I was thinking how many women are in your classes. That's interesting because most of the students are women. Oh, I mean, wow. Yeah, we have in a business school. In a business school. Exactly. Maybe that's the Swedish specific, I don't know, specific, specific context of Sweden, maybe. But actually, when I was working in Poland, the situation was exactly the same in the Faculty of Management. So, and your response to my question, what are the most important qualities of a leader? You would say it's trusting the people and sharing responsibility, am yeah. I right? And anything else that you talk about? Yes, of course. We, we talk all, all, um, about many values, like communication between people, like uh, dignity, uh, taking care of the dignity. Uh, we, we also introduce the, um, the concept of a servant leader, of caring leader. And um, yeah, I think that does... Uh, There's a lot of you know, discussions about around these ideas uh, because this is not very obvious for students. This is, this is something I would say very uh, sometimes shocking for them or um, sometimes it's, it's, it's very difficult for them to understand at the beginning the concept yeah. that um, it is possible actually to lead business organization in the collective way. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the thinking is usually that, no, but if you want to make a profit, we need to have a strong leader and just... That's, that's Unlearn that. Unlearn <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about um, your conversation with the dean and other decision makers in your faculty. And they said, okay, and then ask the students if they liked it. And we see 
if it works. What would you say? Um, does it work and um, did you see any effects? At the very beginning when I was uh, introducing the session two years ago, I got a lot of negative comments from students. Hmm. But mainly that this session is not preparing me for, for the job market. This, <laughs> this session is uh, not very useful for my practical skills. Uh, it is, this was boring. You know, of course, a couple of positive comments as well, but uh, I was just thinking how to improve the session to make students a little bit more satisfied. But, you know, at the end of the day, I finished with a conclusion that that's not the point to make uh, students satisfied in the survey. That's not the point to, to satisfy, you know, customers of your classes. The point is to make a transformation, and I don't care about assessment now. I just care about what is going on inside uh, the classroom. And I see that students actually are enjoying the, the, uh, the sessions now, smiling all the time, being very happy. And That's if, a very important sign. Yeah, I, I do think so. And when I take a look on uh, their sense-making papers also, uh, you know, these questions... Uh, what, did I did, what did I learn through the session? What have I learned during the session? Then uh, it's, it's really rewarding, I mean, satisfying myself. To see what they tell you, to, yeah. to get this feedback about yeah. the processes happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's, it seems that I am improving step by step. <laughs> My sessions are, are uh, better and better uh, for students and for myself as well. Because uh, what I realized, it might be the last comment, um, uh, what I realized also after these two years of learning or unlearning yeah. is you know, that um, for me, the most, one of the most important elements to make the session successful is to unlearn yourself uh, as a teacher. Because um, it's, it, it was very difficult for me many times to be myself during the sessions. Why? Because I was thinking about students' evaluations, for example. How to satisfy my customers, you know. And I was very <laughs> yeah. afraid of that. When I just abandoned this perspective, and I was just joining the session, having fun with students, uh, trying to um, feel and experience their faces, their real faces, then the things was, were much easier, and uh, the sessions were much more successful. Uh, so I'm still working on myself and uh, to be better in this way. Thank you. That was a nice last sentence. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much, you. Michal. Thank you very much. <laughs> taking some time to have a conversation two weeks after the summit. I want to introduce you first of all. You are in Portugal right now in your parents' home in Porto, but normally you work in Mozambique as a choir a leader and you work with children and adolescents in Mozambique and you've done that for several years now. And my first question is, what is most important for you when you make music with these children in Mozambique? Yeah, so thank you for having me. It's very good to talk with you always. And so about the, the work, I think the most important thing is to enjoy the moments we are together. So when we are together making music, we should enjoy it and share these moments together and have a good experience in the end. So it should be a, a, a good moment, a positive moment. 
And in the end, I think everyone should be happy with what happened there. Rehearsal, concerts, uh, lessons, uh, wherever it should be like a good shared moment between us. And I think that's the most important thing. Of course, the music and the quality, as we talked during the, the summit, is very important. But I think part of the quality is that people are enjoying and are happy together and are connecting and are creating relationships. And I think if that's happened, we can have quality, musical quality also. So I think that's the most important thing. Relationship, empathy, connection, and enjoy the moment. Wow, you've said some very important things, <laughs> I think. Let me pick up um, the word relationship. How do you create relationships in the group as a leader? Because we always start with actions when we lead a choir. How mm -hmm. do you do it? with the relationship between yourself and the children and maybe also between them? Well, we talked about leadership a lot and about yes. the, the word leader. I don't like to think about me as a leader, but I know that I have that kind of role because I'm in front of a lot of people. Yes. And of course, I know that in the end I have that role. But I like to think about the, the, the kind of leadership we talked uh, during the summit, like uh, the servant leader, not like the person who is here saying things and now you have to do it. What I think also is important is like uh, to, to create this, uh, this kind of environment, good environment, is also like be a, an example of that. So how I talk to them, how I act with them, I think it's important to take care of each other, to be kind to each other, to try to understand and to listen to each other. And I think if the people who is the leader in that situation shows that it's important to act like that, I hope that they think it will be important also between them to be kind and to take care of each other. Other thing is like the hierarchy. I don't like that. <laughs> so I don't use it. I don't use like the power or the hierarchy. I, I talk with them like we are a group. We all together, we are a group and we are doing something together. I think that's important to create this kind so of you environment. you explain this to uh, the children and adolescents. Uh, maybe you don't use the word hierarchy, yeah. but you, you tell them, I want us to work together. And that's your way of expressing that you don't want this. Yeah, sometimes I think I don't need to tell. Another time, sometimes I think we, I, we just do it together and we understand each other that we are working together. As, in other occasions, I said it already sometimes, like, I don't want to be like the teacher and you are the students or I'm the conductor and you are the choir. I want to work together. And for me, it, it's a very important, for example, that they know that they can count on me. If it's mm -hmm. about like uh, asking questions, doubts about the music or wherever, or if they have some uh, problem and they cannot attend the rehearsal, it's important that they know that it's fine to talk with me. I'm not going to be the very, very angry person shouting and saying, no, just study, go home, come to the rehearsal. So no, so I think it's very important also that they know that they can talk with me. I can talk with them. And also we can all be, we can all talk with each other 
So I think that's also very important. So be open in this relationship. So talk about everything. If we are afraid of something, if we have any doubts. So yes, I think... Also doubts about musical ideas. Because when I listen to you, I get the feeling that you also ask them for their ideas, what they want to do, how they want to make music. What about doubts there? Do you have maybe an example? Yes, uh, I think it's important that they feel free to give their input to our work. So uh, some of them, they want to be professional musicians. Some of them are working already as professional or musicians or have music projects. Uh, and even with the children, I think it's very important that they feel free. It's a safe place to share also their ideas about what we are doing. And I think that's very important because we are we are not only doing music, we are all humans and we are also working social things together. I think a choir um, can be like a, a small society or a small community. Yes. So we work a lot of things together there. And I think creativity, having a voice, it's very important to teach that also or to, to give space so they can feel free to have their own voice. What about different voices? Like they have different ideas and um, that can lead to difficult situations that you have to help finding a solution for as a leader. That could be your job sometimes. How do you do that? So that everybody still enjoys making music with this group. A few months ago, we were working in a song, uh, El Grill, uh, Josca de Pre El Grill. And uh, the, the score, uh, we didn't have any uh, dynamic written on the score. And I was asking, okay, so let's do our own interpretation of the music. We are going to create our dynamics. Just to give you an example. Yes. <laughs> and they were very, in the beginning, they were kind of shy. Okay, should I really give my opinion about that? I was asking, what do you think about, like, should we start piano, fort? What about articulation? What about even, like, speed? What do you think about this? And they started. They started to give some, some ideas. And we started to try their ideas. Okay, let's try the, this idea. And they tried. Okay. You like it? Yeah. Okay. You like it, but you want to add this or try this. Okay. Let's try this. And it was not like they were not voting, but together we were deciding, yeah, this is cool. This is nice. This wasn't working that well. Maybe let's try another way. So during one rehearsal, we did all these experiences. Everyone had the opportunity to ask to try something. And in the end, together, we found uh, like a final version with all the inputs, but like, yeah, we prefer this one. This one is not working that well. Together, together we did this. So I think it's possible to listen, but guiding the process, of course, and that's why I'm also there guiding this process and and try to find a, a final version together. Of course, we cannot do this all the time, maybe, but in my opinion, it's important to have space to do this kind of work also. Yeah, I think that's a very conscious decision of of you as a leader that you want to create space for this uh, for their ideas. Yeah. And I also believe that this changes the group and the music. I also see that. You mentioned the repertoire. What I'm interested in is also do you give space to make suggestions for repertoire to the children? 
Yes, uh, now uh, it depends. Sometimes we have things uh, that we have to sing. Uh, so, so we have to, for example, if you have a concert uh, with some group, um, we have to sing their songs or some, so we are going to sing with some Sambican singers. So we are going to sing their songs also. Now we are going to sing uh, also songs composed by our students uh, because wow. we have some students that compose and we, we sing, we perform their songs, sing and play their songs. But when we have like uh, more freedom to choose repertoire, I, I choose some things. I ask what they, they think. But sometimes they, they, they tell me, ah, I would really like to sing this. I like this song. And they are part of the repertoire. <laughs> they became part of the repertoire. So now two weeks after the summit in, in the Netherlands where we met, What is still on your mind from this week and what we discussed, what we did together, our music making? What is still with you? A lot, a lot. I am still thinking a lot about everything. And maybe one thing that it was very, very interesting to me, when you are in the performance classical music world, you, you see that sometimes the goal is on the performance and the very high quality of the musical performance with professional musicians, professional orchestras, everything. And it's not very easy to talk with other musicians uh, with the same interests as you, in my case, as me and, and as you, and we all have it in the summit, like the process, not only the goal of the, the, the performance, but the process and involving people and the connections and the relationships. And it was very interesting to listen all the experiences, very different experiences in the same field, kind of field, the community musician or uh, music for social justice uh, or change. We all do different things with similar goals. And it was very, very interesting to, to listen all the stories, all the experiences, all the backgrounds and learn from them. And, and feel that we fit in this, this place, in this, in this group, and uh, know that people are doing a lot of interesting things. And the relations with people, I, I think it was very important. All the strategies, new strategies that we learned. I, I'm thinking also about my practice and how can I include, can include more these five principles all the time. And I, I'm thinking, am I including everything? Am I aware of this when I'm doing this? So I'm trying to connect now everything with my practice. So I, I think um, the Musicians Without Borders have reached their goals, maybe. With us. <laughs> you, you I'm very that. happy. Yeah. Thank you so much, Agatha, for Thank our you. conversation. Thank you. It was really nice. This was episode number 51 of the podcast More Than Tones, Music Education and Society. A big thank you to Juan David Garzon, Michal Zawatsky and Agata Rika for the passion that we can hear in your voices when you talk about music making in groups. We are looking forward to receiving your feedback and your thoughts about the topics we talked about. 
If you want to share some thoughts, please go to the blog www.mehralstöne.de and use the space for comments you'll find under each episode. The next episode will be in German again. If you're interested in the other English episodes of this podcast, scroll down to March and April 2021 or September and October 2020. There will be more English episodes in the future. So stay tuned and in the meantime, enjoy making and listening to music and teaching. <laughs>